turn to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. As you may know, since 1984, Christians in our country have set aside a Sunday in January as Sanctity of Life Sunday to raise awareness about the murder of unborn children in our land. Actually, it's not just Christians. Sanctity of Life Sunday was instituted by President Ronald Reagan on January 22nd, 1984, uh, which was the 11th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which was the Supreme Court decision that made abortion legal in our country in uh, 1973. So it's not only Christians who observe Sanctity of Life Sunday, but it is safe to say that without Christians, it would be long gone. Uh, Roe v. Wade was decided January 22nd, 1973, and Sanctity of Life Sunday is typically observed on the Sunday each year closest to that date. Now, around this time, I usually try to spend one Sunday in class focusing our attention here, but this year I'm going to try to spend a few weeks, uh, I don't know how many, at least this one and the two following, which will bring us to the 21st, which is Sanctity of Life Sunday this year. All right, if we are going to think biblically about life, about abortion, we have to start at the beginning of the Bible. So turn, or you already have, uh, follow as I read Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Familiar passage. And remember as I read, this is the Word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing. That moves on the earth. Amen. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on various aspects of the image of God in mankind, and we're going to continue that this week and the next couple as we think about uh, abortion. So the clear teaching of the Bible, as seen here in Genesis 1, is that every human being is created in the image of God. About this, just briefly, I want to notice... Um, the distinction is made throughout this section as we approach the image of God in Genesis 1. So look back at uh, chapter 1, and the refrain up until this point has been, let there be, like in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse. So leading up to the creation of mankind, the language was let there be. When we get to verse 26, it's let us make. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That doesn't mean God wasn't making it when it said, let there be. Um, he created all of it. That much is clear enough throughout the chapter. But the point is simply that there's a change in language that's meant to grab our attention. There's, it's something different is going on here in this little section about the creation of mankind. Also notice the language in verse 11. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. 
Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly. Verse 21, according to their kinds. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Let the earth sprout according to their kinds. Let the waters swarm according to their kinds. Let the earth bring forth according to their kinds. Again, the passage is clear that God made it all, but a distinction is being made when we get to verses 26 to 28 that stands out. It doesn't say, let the earth bring forth, let the waters swarm, uh, let there be. God said, let us make. And it doesn't say, according to their kinds, fruit leading to more fruit, animals leading to more animals. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Or you could say, after our kind. So there's something altogether different in the creation of mankind. The plants, the trees, the fruits, the animals, the sea creatures, the birds, these are not made after God's kind. But mankind is made in God's image after His kind. There's something different going on here. There's something much higher uh, than has been going on throughout the creation week. So the creation of mankind is the climax of the creation week because we are after his kind. We are made in God's image. Of course, uh, this does not mean that we are God, uh, but it does mean that we are like God in some very important ways. So we've talked about this a little bit over the last few weeks. What are some of those ways? What does it mean uh, that we are created in God's image? Anybody want to help us out? made for community, made for relationship. You know, God says, let us make. So God is in us. We know that is not revealed then, but as we go throughout the Bible, that that us is a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Uh, three beings, three distinct persons, one God, one being, one essence, who has existed in a love relationship for all of eternity. So God is personal. God is relational. And we are like God. We are not a member of the Trinity, but we are personal. We are created for relationship. We're created for relationship with God. We're created for relationship with other human beings. This much becomes clear in uh, the first few chapters of the Bible as God is there in the garden and there's the marriage and um, then, you know, parenting and all of that. But there is a uh, clear, uh, we are made for relationship. This is why isolation and loneliness is such a devastating issue. This is why we should care about that in uh, our own lives, not to isolate ourselves, um, but also those that are lonely and and why we should seek out to reach out to those because we're made, designed for relationship, for connection, for meaningful friendship with God and with others. Uh, Something else that it means, we talked about this a bit last week, but being in the image of God is that we are reflectors of God. We are imitators of God, and as we imitate Him truly, we reflect something of what He is like. And another angle of being in the image of God is that all human beings have a unique value, a sacredness even. This is why murder is such an egregious sin. It says in Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. The reason murder is such a big deal 
is because it is an assault on the image of God. So, as we think about the unborn child, we have to start here uh, with the fact that all human beings, no matter their size, no matter their age, no matter what they can contribute to society, all human beings have a sacredness about them because all human beings are made in God's image after God's kind. When are you made in God's image? Well, when you're created. When are we created? Well, it's a little different for us than it was for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created in maturity. They were created as adults. But we are created at conception or fertilization. This is clear enough biblically. Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. There is an I, a me at conception. Um, There is a distinct being there, you know, separate from the mother. And not only do we know this biblically, but we know this scientifically. In fact, abortion advocates have stopped arguing against this um, in, in their arguments. So one of our elders, Gary Bynum, presented this to me a few years back, and I did not know this, but um, he said, uh, at what point of gestation do we obtain the information that collectively formulates the image of God in us? Does it come to us piecemeal throughout various stages in our development, or do we receive it all at once? Uh, All of the information or the building blocks of our bodies comes through our DNA, And so the question is, does our DNA change throughout our life with more information being added as we grow and mature, or do we have it early on? Uh, It does not come to us piecemeal. We have it at conception. I don't know these statistics. He gave these to me, but I trust him. He said all 600,000 pages, 3.5 billion pieces of information that lie in each strand of DNA are present at conception. So when a child is conceived in the womb, his or her DNA is the same at that moment as it will be when he or she is an infant or an adolescent or on their deathbed. Life starts at conception. We are in the image of God at conception. With all of the information that we will need to grow to be uh, full-grown human beings. We simply need to be nurtured and cared for in order to get there. So why is abortion so wicked? Certainly because it preys on the most weak and defenseless among us in our society, but the chief reason that abortion is so wicked is because it is an assault on the image of God. So let's hear some statistics. Um, I looked these up this week. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in our nation. They just reported their 2016-2017 fiscal year. And here's a stat about the money involved, which is just uh, amazing. Um, It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and they were given nearly $544 million in taxpayer funding in the last fiscal year, $543,700,000. They also reported a $98.5 million excess in revenue. So I'm not really sure how that works for a nonprofit, but uh, murdering little ones is big business, apparently. And as for Planned Parenthood abortions, they um, 
committed 321,384 murders of unborn children last year. 321,384. For perspective, now this is brings a little closer to home. According to the most recent stats, the combined populations of Germantown, Collierville, Cordova, Bartlett, Arlington, Oakland, Somerville, Piperton, Olive Branch, and South Haven is 321,604. So that's about how many people were uh, that Planned Parenthood murdered last year. That's like if they went to just about every home in Germantown, Collierville, Cordova, Bartlett, Arlington, Oakland, Somerville, Piperton, Olive Branch, and South Haven and killed us all. They just left 220 people. And that's just Planned Parenthood. I mean, they have a significant market share, but it's only about 30% of the market for uh, abortions. So according to the best estimates, we have now gone over the 60 million mark as a nation uh, since Roe v. Wade. 60 million defenseless lives murdered in their mother's wombs, and that is just in the last 45 years in our country. And then there are those abortions that are not reported, but um, let's just take the conservative estimate of 60 million. That's an average of 1,333,333 abortions per year. That would be like killing the entire Memphis metropolitan area, including Mississippi and Arkansas, this year. 1,333,333 murders of unborn children in our nation each year. That's 3,653 per day, which would be like all of the students at Farmington, Dogwood, Houston Middle, and all of Riverdale being murdered in one day. 3,653. 152 per hour. Two and a half every minute. In the last 45 years, we have committed a murder of an unborn child every 24 seconds in the United States of America. For 45 years. That is astounding, sustained wickedness. But let's turn the attention from out there to in here. Um, about 25% of women will have an abortion before age 45. That's one in four women. And then there are men uh, and other women, whether friends or family members, that are accomplices to these murders. With statistics like this, it is very likely that there are those in the room who have either murdered an unborn child or been an accomplice to a murder of an unborn child. And I say it that way on purpose. The fact that we might bristle at that language, I think, shows how off we are. We wouldn't bristle at calling someone a murderer if they shot you. You know, we would just say what it is. But um, we shouldn't bristle at calling them that uh, or calling it that if a, an unborn child is, is murdered as well. And if you have had an abortion, calling it what it is is one of the most loving things that I could do for you or that anyone could do for you because in order to repent, the first step is to get a glimpse of our sin as God sees it. We need to call our sin what God calls it. But you also need to know that Jesus died for murderers. There is no sin so great that Jesus' blood can't cover it. Only one, really, and that is unbelief. 
So if you murdered an unborn child or if you were an accomplice in the murder of an unborn child, confess your sins to God. He is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, including murder. Jesus took punishment for your sin on the cross. Your blood doesn't have to be shed because Jesus' blood was shed and Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover the blood that is on your hands. You're not a second-rate Christian if you've had an abortion. And maybe no one in here has. I don't know. Um, It tends to be the kind of thing that we wouldn't talk about. But so that you can say the same thing to someone who has. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, you're a child of the Most High God. You are precious in His sight. He loves you with an everlasting love. And nothing could separate you from the love of God in Christ. Now, understandably, if someone has done this, there would probably still be guilt and shame. Uh, And while I could talk about Christ putting an end to your guilt, He really did pay our debts in full. While He really does cover our shame, I would understand that there are uh, maybe even a lifetime of, of dealing with that. And um, in the event that there is someone that has had an abortion, that is something that is okay to bring into the light. It is something that um, people in this room would love to walk with you, trusted friends, trusted sisters in Christ. And um, there is grace from God for your sin, for your healing, And uh, I would encourage you to bring it into the light. And for those of us who have not had an abortion or been an accomplice to one, we should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I think it's pretty easy to think about this issue and get pretty charged about this issue. And there is a right anger to this issue. But we should also beware of self-righteousness. We should beware of thinking of ourselves as better than we are. We need to focus on the log that is in our own eyes so that we can see clearly to help those who are going through issues of their own. This is where Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount are incredibly um, eye-opening and helpful in something like this. Because have you ever been sinfully angry at someone? Well, then he says you have murdered them in your heart. In the courts of God, it's the same. We must continue to walk in repentance from our own sin so that we might be able to see for those around us and help those around us who are continuing in repentance of theirs. And if you have the opportunity to talk to someone about this, I would encourage you, on the one hand, to tell them the truth about how wicked it is. It's even worse than than they think. Uh, Call it what God calls it. Remember that the law of God is good that says, thou shalt do no murder. And the conviction that comes by looking into the law of God is a good thing. It's a necessary thing if we're ever going to be able to rest in the provisions that Christ has made. But don't just tell them how wicked it is. And I think that's one of the big problems that the church uh, has made, or one of our big uh, failures over this last 45 years after Roe v. Wade. It became primarily a political issue for the church. It is a political issue. But first and foremost, it's a biblical issue. 
And if we're going to respond biblically, we can't just talk about the law and the sin. We have good news. <laughs> and, and we have got to offer that good news to sinners that commit egregious sins. And um, let that not be missing from our witness in this regard. If you have the opportunity to talk with someone about abortion, please tell them the truth about how wicked it is, but tell them about the one who died in our place, who took all of the curses of the law that were due us for breaking the law. He took them all on himself. There's no more sin to be paid for. It's all taken care of in Christ. So in thinking biblically about abortion, I think we have to have courage on the one hand, but we also have to have compassion. Courage in that this is not popular. This is asinine for many people in our culture, in our workplaces, um, in our friend groups. You know, we have to have courage to stand firm in the Scriptures and to see these things biblically, but we cannot lose compassion. We have got to be brokenhearted for sinners. We are sinners. We are, C.S. Lewis said, simply beggars showing other beggars where we found the bread. And uh, we are no better. We all have sin that if we examine it in God's law, it is high wickedness. It is cosmic treason. It is a middle finger to God. All of our sin. And we deserve what every other sinner deserves. Whether it's angry or abortion. But Christ has come. He has paid for all of our sins. He lived a righteous life in our place. And uh, He gives us His righteousness in this great gospel transaction so that truly God looks at us, no more sin, no more shame, no more anger, no more wrath, only love. We are His children. And um, that has to come through in our witness about this issue. Now, this still doesn't really answer for us why uh, we should make this our problem. I mean, I see that it's a great evil, but do I have a responsibility to get involved in opposing it? And I believe the answer is yes. Uh, so what I'm going to try to do over the next couple of weeks is, is show that um, biblically, starting, continuing with this theme in the image of God and talking more about doing justice and loving mercy, as in, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? For now, let's pray. We'll have time for some questions or comments and uh, go from there. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, and if any one of us takes a glimpse into your holy law, we would realize very quickly that we are not. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, that is true for uh, someone like me who has been so intensely angry, sinfully angry at times in my life, hurting others around me, as well as for those who have committed murder. Lord, in the uh, event that there are those that have had an abortion or um, have uh, participated in someone's pursuit, would you 
shine your light in that dark area in their soul and assure them of the forgiveness of sins in Christ and teach them repentance and faith. Lord, would you give us opportunity to testify uh, to the teaching of the scriptures in this regard in our culture, both with courage and with compassion? Uh, Lord, would you give us boldness and teach us how to stand firm when the culture is moving the other direction. But also, Lord, let us not lose gospel compassion. Let us be filled with your Holy Spirit, brokenhearted to reach those around us and um, give us opportunities to minister the gospel into this uh, devastating cultural scenario. Lord, we pray that you would fight for the unborn. We pray that you would end Uh, this wickedness in our land. We pray that you would defund Planned Parenthood. We pray that you would um, pass laws that make it impossible to get an abortion. Lord, we pray that you would defend the unborn. And we also realize that um, in many cases, this is done out of convenience. This is done because people can't imagine how this child will be cared for. And so we ask, too, that you would um, raise up your church to serve the needs that will certainly be there for uh, 60 million more children over the next 45 years. Lord, we need your help. We are thankful for your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived in our place without sin and that you went to the cross in our place for every sin. Lord, I pray that that would sink in deep uh, for all of us today. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We do have a few minutes. If anyone would like to uh, throw out a comment or question. Okay. No. Well, I'm not in everybody, but I have not. <laughs> Essentially, in that book, it talks about um, how after they passed the law that are working to be legal, the crime rate dropped like significantly, something like 30% mm-hmm. over the next series of years. And um, so a lot of people will argue that for, mm-hmm. you know, against, you know, Right. Right. But I think that something that's important for them to be including is the murder of those children. Yeah. In those murder rates. That's a great point. I mean, really, how many kids were murdered over that series of years? Yeah. And the other thing that I think the church needs to do a better job of doing, talk about compassion and everything for these people going through these situations, I think that um, the church needs to provide, I mean, like life choices yeah. out there. Yeah. I think the church needs to do a better job of providing that outreach That's right. to people who are you know, in situations where they have no other choices or they feel like they don't have any other choices or they're uh, ashamed of their situation and you know, reach out to those people. Yeah. And um, kind of help them along through, you know, the whole process. You know. I think you're right. Now, um, just 
in the event that anyone connects with somebody in this situation, and you never know when you will. I mean, I remember this was a year or two ago, but uh, there was a young family that we were involved with, and she kept getting pregnant, and a fourth or fifth time she was wanting, she just, I just had to have an abortion. We can't, and Miss Susie was there, Susie Young, you know, you can't do that, you know. But, but what are the options? You mentioned life choices. Uh, who can we, in, even in this group, who can we point people to that has connections with these organizations? Jessica? <laughs> life choices board. Okay. But that's the kind of thing, I mean, I think a lot of that is even, there are people in our congregations and things that are involved, but that tends to be kind of a separate thing. And if we can at least know that more congregationally, it will help because we reach into all these different places. You never know. I mean, those of you that work in the schools, and you never you never know who you're going to come in contact with. I think education is probably one of the biggest. I kind of flippantly said that, but that's actually something Life Choices is working on is women in our community, specifically men as well, but being advocates by just understanding what the services are offered. Because a lot of times you just hear of life choices that you really know so that you are informed. And I mean, there's stories in this room of people that because they were informed have saved a life because they were able to point the person in the direction. So they're always welcome to come to me, but I would strongly suggest you go take a tour of the facility. It's actually the best connection because once you've seen what they do, you have a you have an elevator speech that you can give somebody pretty quickly. And it's real simple. You just sign up, and you you know, we can. I can organize a group if somebody's interested. But you tour, and you see what the patient goes, how the counseling happens, and they even um, counsel post-abortion. So it's not just a pro-life clinic. It's a, it's a, a pro. They say pro-woman, and the, the goal is to help a woman from start to finish. And even if she goes elsewhere to have an abortion, they'll still support her. They don't say we don't like you anymore because you made that decision. So. Yeah. When do they do those tours? They during the week generally, or uh, at night, and they I believe offer a dinner with it too. So it's kind of nice. Um, and normally, about, I think it's about an hour, hour and a half. It wasn't too We did ours with our grace group a couple of years ago. It was fantastic. That's great. That would be something we could do as a class. We could have childcare here or something. And I mean, really, that would be a great thing to do. Yeah, I think it's honestly the best way to, for you to be able to feel equipped. Yeah. I think you're because I think you're right. I mean, it's just back to education and us knowing, you know, keeping this before us and um, being more informed. That's an excellent point, by the way, about the uh, murder rate or the crime rate going down. That is a quick thing to say in response if that ever comes up. Say, are you factoring in uh, the million people a year that were murdered in abortion? So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Get your population in check. I mean, I can make those arguments. It's like uh, you know, a lot of the white supremacists I mean, he has in Charlottesville. They love abortion because it disproportionately kills. It does disproportionately kill African Americans. I've always said there's a reason that it's at Poplar and Hollywood and not Poplar and Forest Hill. Um, because that was a part of the original design of Margaret Sanger was to prey on the African-American community. and uh, That's what's amazing to me. If you read about Margaret Sanger and, like, she started planning... She is a wicked woman. racist person. Like, how, you know, people who are saying they are for the low-income community and what she stood for yeah. is just horrific. It like, is. I just, it is. And it, you know, it ought to, I mean, do a little study and rehearse these statistics and grieve, you know, lament. This is a, we cannot just not face this. And what do we do? Don't start that. Just go before the Lord and, you know, cry. That's a good way to start and lament and grieve and be brokenhearted. And, and think about those that you know that have, had an abortion, and think about the shame and the guilt and pray for them and and pray that God would give us a gospel witness in this regard. But, I mean, it is. When you look back at the roots of it and just what they have been able to accomplish, it is alarming. It's, a, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, anything else? Good talk. All right. We'll uh, continue next week. Have a good one.